Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Thursday, September the 26th, 2013, and this is episode 1215 of the Survival Podcast, and I've got a great one for you. Every once in a while, I bring on a guest, and I instantly know when I talk to that guest, they're going to be someone that we're going to have back multiple times. I knew that with Stephen Harris. Absolutely knew that. Uh, recently, we had Evan Folds on. I'm like, Absolutely, this guy's going to become, uh, you know, part of the show's fixture. Kerry Davis probably won't be on for a lot of interviews. As soon as I talk to him, though, I'm like, I want this guy on the council. Today's uh, guest is someone like that, someone we're already talking to about doing multiple things with down the road. His name is Gary Collins, and he is uh, just an awesome guy. He is the author of, of a book and a method known as the Primal Power Plan. Uh, very much in the paleo-primal world. Incredible background. I'll tell you a little bit more about him in a bit, and we'll have him on as soon as we take care of our housekeeping. Housekeeping item one, as always. Let's take care of our sponsors, because they do a lot to help take care of you. Make sure the show's here for you Monday through Friday, five days a week. Sponsor the day number one today, Survival Gear Bags. Hey, you want great gear? Go to survivalgearbags.com. You want great gear to put in your bags? Go to survivalgearbags.com. Kelly John Doe is a great guy, right out of the Survival Podcast community. Started out in our forum. I think he's got a membership number in the forum with uh, two digits in it to tell you how long he's been around. Forum handle, cart pusher. Put together some group buys for folks back in the day when we were still just uh, infants in the world of podcasting. And uh, as we grew, he grew his uh, business into Survival Gear Bags. Free shipping for all and discounts for members of the Support Brigade. Check it out today. Survival Gear Bags. Com. Next up today, Safe Castle Royal, the original survival podcast sponsor. When there were no survival podcast sponsors, there was Safe Castle knocking on the door saying, we want to sponsor your show. And there was Jack saying, Vic, I've got like 1,800 people listening. I don't know that it's right for me to take your money yet. And he said, I know where this is going. I want to be part of it. I said, give me the end of the first year. We'll put some together. We came back to him. We had 2,500 listeners. We were putting together the member support brigade. We had that lined out. And I said, yeah, I'll take you as a sponsor, but I have to vet you first. And I took the moderators in the forum. I said, you find anything, anything bad about this, this company, any bad news, let me know. And you guys vote on whether he gets in or not. We built the sponsorship program around Safe Castle. That was almost five years ago. We're about to have the fifth year anniversary of our relationship with Safe Castle. That tells you how much I value them as a sponsor. And hey, talk about a supporter. There's no one that supports this audience at the level that Safe Castle Royal does, giving away their lifetime membership valued at $49 for free. Safe Castle Royal, if you need something for your preps, they probably have it. They'll take good care of you, and they support this show highly. And, hey, if you're MSB, they give you discounts on almost everything in the store. Check them out today at safecastle.com. Uh, next up, want to uh, remind you guys about 13skills.com. We do have voting going on all this week on the best blogger badge created by the different graphic artists from our community. Uh, you can vote on that at the forum. I'll put a link in today's show notes. Winner of that gets a free lifetime MSB membership. Once that's done, I'm going to say here's all the badges. 
put one on your blog, send me an email showing me you did it, and then we'll draw one person out of all the bloggers that put a badge on their blog, linking to their 13 Skills profile, and give them a free MSB Lifetime membership. And I'll do a few other prizes for you know other bloggers chosen at random. And uh, you don't have to use the winning badge. You can use any badge you want out of the group. We're just doing the winning badge to incentivize people to create a bunch of great graphics, which is what they've done. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you'll get exclusive content available only to members. You'll help support the show at a whopping 18.3 cents an episode. And uh, I'll tell you what, you get great discounts, you get exclusive content, including the new video series that I'm doing now for MSB members only. Like an inside look. We call it the Week in Review. We tell you about what the week was like here, what we got done. Do it in a personal way at some different part of the homestead. This week I'm probably going to be making omelets with uh, yogurt, cheese, and some kind of cool meat or something. And while I'm cooking in the kitchen, I'll be telling you about the week. I'll also tell you the guests that are coming for the next week and what's going on like that. Next up, I want to remind you guys, I am going to be at the Self-Reliance Expo in, uh, in Denver, Colorado uh, very, very soon. Uh, in fact, we're only like a week and a half away from that now or something like that. It will be October 4th and 5th. I will be putting together some meet and greets. I'm going to get with Ron Douglas on that. I don't think I'm going to do panel discussions this time. I think it's going to just be me and you guys and getting you guys in the door early. But keep an eye on the blog if you're coming to the Self-Reliance Expo in Denver, Colorado. There will be info coming out probably tomorrow on the meet and greets, and we will do some kind of after-hours thing with you guys as well, grabbing a beer at some local place in the Denver area, somewhere near our hotel or something like that. Self-Reliance Expo, October 4th and 5th, Denver, Colorado. Uh, you can see that in any of my coming appearances on the appearance page uh, on the survivalpodcast.com. Now time for our real quick segment on uh, history. Episode 1215, so what the hell happened in the year 1215? So in the year 1215, it's another one of these years where we're kind of stuck with the same cast of characters. And again, I go by Wikipedia. If you guys want to get ahead of me on this and come up with any cool, juicy tidbits in the years uh, that are of upcoming episodes and email them to me, you can do that. Uh, just send them to me with a history segment, but they have to be like, you know, next 10 episodes so that I don't get out of hand with it. Um, but I just use Wiki for this. Anyway, King John of England makes an oath of to Pope Innocent III as a crusader to gain his support. So remember, John and the Pope have been at odds, and now John's actually becoming weak in power because he's he's had created too many enemies for himself, is really what's happened here. Uh, and we're going to stick with John to see how this all works out, what tyrants do when they become weak. They use tyranny to become strong again. So then King John of England, whose hand is weakened, on June 15th of that year is forced by barons of England, rebellious barons of England, so these are landowners, uh, at Runade to put the great seal of the realm on a set of articles confirming their rights to those towns in church and confirming the status of trial by jury, which on June 19th is confirmed as Magna Carta. So the Magna Carta is, is confirmed on June 19th, and it gives the right to trial by jury. No more the, the king just going off with your head. Okay, so... The barons force him into this, and he says, uh, okay, uh, in June. Then in August, <laughs> King John rejects the Magna Carta, leading to the First Barons' War. On August 24th, uh, what happens? Pope Innocent III declares the Magna Carta invalid. 
For those who don't know, the Magna Carta is actually seen as one of the, the birthing documents that eventually was used for ideals that were put into the Constitution of the United States of America. Um, it was one of the original things that ever recognized individual rights and said that, you know, even a king had a, a certain level of burden of proof before he could just have somebody's guts yanked out or head chopped off. That, that's where the Magna Carta was. So it was put into force, uh, in June and forced on the king, uh, in June. And by August, he just said, yeah, we're not doing that. And the new buddy of his, the Pope, says, yeah, it's invalid. It's invalid by holy decree. That you got to understand what that means back then and why the church would do that. If the individual has rights that even the king must subject you know, themselves to in an accusation, the individual, therefore, within that kingdom would also have rights as it would pertain to the Holy See and the church. You can see humanity... Having fed up, been fed up with enough tyranny here, beginning to push back, even though it's tyrant against tyrant right now. And the more things change, the more they stay the same. With that, we do have the housekeeping wrapped up. It is my good pleasure now to introduce our special guest again, Mr. Gary Collins. Uh, this guy is switched on. I think you're really going to enjoy the interview with him. He's got the credentials from a variety of different places from both the educational system and a law enforcement and governmental background, seeing the see the underbelly of things like the FDA. But I'll let him tell you more about that once we bring him on. And with that, hey, Gary, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thanks a lot. I'm glad to be here. Hey, you are uh, in the, the world of primal nutrition, um, at least you are now, but you have a pretty diverse background. And most of the time when I have a guest on, especially somebody I call switched on, and I, I think that's what I've got here with you, they almost never come to whatever they're switched on about by a direct path. There's always like this kind of around-the-way path. So could you talk about how you ended up in the world that you're in today? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting adventure. I grew up actually in a small town of about 1,800 people in California. People can't believe that. But uh, it was a ranching town, and did, there was some farming, too. And I grew up with, you know, grass-fed beef, you know, everything you can imagine. Of course, I never ate it. It was always around me. I, raw milk, our neighbors produced raw milk, and I'd drink it and cringe and couldn't handle it. And I had to have my Fruit Loops and my Pop-Tarts and everything else. So I grew up very sick. Um, I had a lot of health problems growing up as a kid asthma, severe allergies, uh, eczema. I would get it all over my body. I mean, horrific health conditions, throwing up all the time. And through life, I just got used to it. And never, you know, me and my parents, we never related it to diet or anything like that. But I was always very athletic. So I started playing sports when I was seven and was into basically sports and nutrition all my life. But I just did, did the nutrition side wrong. <laughs> and so I, I went through life, uh, went through college, military, law enforcement, just basically feeling like crap. And I, people wouldn't know it when they'd see me. I, I looked good because I worked out like a madman. You know, there was two, three-hour sessions. I mean, just stupid working out. And I ended up going from the U.S. State Department. I was a federal agent there. And I got to travel the world, and I kind of saw how other populations eat and it was far different than Americans. And everyone was always afraid every time we went somewhere how sick they were going to get from the food and 
and I did. Everyone got sick. And now looking back at that, it wasn't because the food was bad. It was because our bodies were bad. We couldn't handle the different bacteria and the different things that were in their food, which we should have been able to handle to a certain extent. Obviously, when you go somewhere different, you're going to get sick uh, a little bit. Um, but from there, I decided uh, the lifestyle I was living was just too hard as far as traveling. And, and I was getting older, and I'd lost a bunch of weight. So I said, okay, I'm going to go over to something a little slower. And I went to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services as a federal agent. And there I started investigating doctors, hospitals, um, clinics, you name it. So it gave me this inside perspective to the health industry that I never had seen before. And I got to see how nasty it was and how doctors would just do anything for money. And I always wondered, they always cried how poor they were and how everything, all these regulations and how Medicare and Medicaid didn't pay anything. But they all seemed to have a whole lot of money, at least the ones I was investigating, and they were doing really well. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, and, and they were smart, though. Um, they, would, they would hire the best lawyers they could get, and nothing ever happened to these guys. So I kind of left there a little downtrodden and beaten, and I actually didn't go to the doctor for two and a half years. I was scared to death to go to a doctor. I just had invest, investigated so many horrific things. You know, one doctor was putting stents in everyone, well-respected cardiologist in uh, mm -hmm. the Southwest. And I'm talking guys 32 years old to 90 years old. You got a stent. If you saw this guy, you got a stent because it was big money. He got five grand a pop cash. I mean, it was instant money to him. Sure. And, you know, so that kind of, you know, ruined people's lives because once a stent's in, it's in. You can't, yeah. you know, the only way you're getting it is dying and them cutting it out. So I went from there. And went to the FDA. I thought, okay, I've had enough of this. So I go from the frying pan into the fire, basically. Um, and I'd been told how corrupt the FDA was. And I said, ah, ah, it can't be that bad. I just, I can't, you know, I just came from a place that was pretty bad. This can't be that bad. It was eye-opening. I mean, beyond shock. I was I was I couldn't even describe it to people. They just thought, no, Gary, that can't be true. And I go, if people knew what was going on in our food and drug industry, they they would literally they would stop supporting any government agency involved in it. I guarantee that. So I started learning more there. I started changing my lifestyle prior, but I just didn't have the knowledge. So I was trying to eat better, um, you know, eliminate some of the the grains, but I was eating, again, a low-fat, high-carb diet like we've been taught. You know, that was what we taught as athletes. Mm -hmm. You know, avoid fat. It's going to make you fat. It's going to give you heart disease. Well, when I was at the FDA, I started investigating holistic practitioners and uh, organic farms and, and uh, naturopaths. And I started reading some of their literature because I would have to go to their websites and I'd order their books and all that good stuff. And I was like, huh. These guys seem like they're on to something. Kind of makes sense. So I started actually buying some of the books I would come across, and the first one was Weston A. Price's uh, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. And it was kind of an eye-opener. So I was in this internal battle of I wasn't buying what I was doing. I was you know, kind of a lost soul. And I started changing my life, and I started getting healthier. It still wasn't perfect. But it got better, and I had to take a whole bunch of different paths 
to get to where I am today. And that's actually how my company started was through that evolution and mainly through the FDA working there the last part of my career. Awesome. Now, what exactly made you do that? I mean, you kind of talked about leading up to it, but why did you start your company? It's New American Nutrition, and then take it a step further, and like that country company's mission, among other things, was to create what you call the uh, primal power method. Yeah, and I'm in the, in the middle of a change. Uh, the primal power method is going to be my primary company here in probably the next month. Um, it's evolved, and the company's evolved, and it started by basically – my path, how hard it was. I just thought, why? Why did it take me so long to figure this out? And it was primarily because the information is very confusing. And I took a bunch of different paths. And until I found kind of the paleo diet and I tweaked it and then, you know, working it with exercise and working it with being the mental aspect of the mental aspect of being able to change and understand that. So I saw a, a kind of a dichotomy or split. There's either these paleo cookbooks with a bunch of pictures of carb bombs and desserts in them, <laughs> you know, and, and just ridiculous from people who have absolutely no background in nutrition or health are 20 something years old, don't even know life, let alone now they're the experts we're getting our health information. Pumpkin cheese donut sandwich I just looked up when you were talking about that. We were off oh. there. I'm like, I, I don't even know what to say. It's ridiculous. I mean, and this is the first place where a lot of us end up. I didn't. Luckily, I saw the cookbooks. Um, but I would look at them. I go, oh, this is confusing. I don't understand. These aren't the principles I'm learning. And then there's the PhDs and the doctors who write their books. And it's so technical and dense that you can't even – the average person can't get 10 pages into it without passing out. Correct. So, yeah, you have this weird split, and not only with those books, the dance books, is they're not really into exercise. They're not into the holistic side of it, and that's where Primal comes from. Primal's putting all the pieces together. It's taking the mind, body, and soul. Paleo, I love paleo. It's just been done wrong. I think it's been hijacked by a bunch of knuckleheads, uh, <laughs> to be honest with you. And, you know, they just it, – it's just a diet, you know. And when I work with clients, because I'm a practitioner too, I, I have clients, I have athletes I work with, I sponsor. I do a whole lot of everything in this world, and not only that, but I kind of follow it. I practice what I preach, which is pretty unusual I'm finding out. There's a lot of people that like to talk about it and write their neat little books with their pictures. You meet them in person, they look like crap. I mean, they look horrible. Sure. And they're 50 pounds overweight, and you're going – did I miss something? <laughs> did I did I not you know, did I not get the memo? And that's basically why I started is I just realized that people were confused. And along with me. I mean, I was confused too. I had to do years of research to figure it out on my own. So that was the whole point was to make this easier to follow because it's not that hard. Once you get the basics down and you get the right information, you change your life pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I uh I had about a one-year journey, I, and you've you've read my story yeah. on that, and and I call myself paleo, but my take is that there's you know there's primal, there's a primal blueprint, there's paleo this, primal that, and and my take is that on some levels it's the different way people have branded the word, and that's created a ton of confusion in the marketplace because to me primal paleo, call it what you want, it's a concept. It's not a specific 
diet because a guy that was living in the Paleolithic era in the center of North America certainly had a different than a guy that was living in that same time in the Congo and Africa. There are many things that are similar, but they certainly had a, a difference in the way they adapted, how they ate, how they managed their lives. So when we look to do these things, we take that concept and then we adapt it to our own lives. And that's what I liked about your approach. Right off the bat, you're like, some of these things work for some people and don't work for others. Yeah, and I, I try and tell people that uh, I'm giving you the, just the core. You have to – you know your body better than anyone else. Um, you, you know your ancestry. Unfortunately, in America, we're a melting pot, so it makes it a little tough to kind of go back to your ancestry and kind of decide or figure out what your traditional diet would have been. You know, it's simply I explain to people, well, 70% of the population is lactose intolerant, which – Obviously makes sense. Uh, we lose uh, the enzyme to be able to process lactose because um, we don't need it anymore. But northern Swedes have been, you know, consuming dairy for over ten thousand years. Well, only about twenty to thirty percent of them are lactose intolerant. So yeah, it's different for everyone. I mean, I'm from ancestry from northern Europe, but I can't do dairy products except for you know I can do raw products. I can do raw cheese. But I still can't do raw milk. I mean, I can have it once or twice, but if I continue to implement my diet, the histamines start in and the, you know, the allergic reaction cause it just turns into sinus infections and the whole bit. Do, do you think there's anything to the, uh, the blood type uh, angle? I mean, I asked Dr. Greg Ellis, and he said absolutely not. I, I don't no. necessarily agree because of uh, anecdotal evidence. I mean, what is your blood type? I'm an O. Yeah, I'm an and O. If it comes from an animal, I can eat it. And you're an O, and you have those issues. So that's not necessarily a correlation there. No, and I've, I've explored the blood type uh, diet a little bit, and it's just too – there's too many factors involved. And I've worked with people with different blood types that are supposed to have intolerances to certain foods. They don't have it. Mm. I just think there's too many factors genetically involved. Sure. And also not only that, but you've got to put everything into perspective and look at it as, okay, it's not only food, but you've got your epigenetics as far as what we're being bombarded with, with toxins, what we're putting on the outside of our body that's being absorbed in, the, you know, the EMFs, uh, everything. I mean – Everything affects you, so it's hard to kind of pinpoint it to one specific thing, and that's what I kind of tell people is, hey, don't try and target. You're never going to be able to target anything because it's a cataclysmic effect. One thing will cause something else to go wrong, which will cause another thing to go wrong, you know, and you target one thing, you may fix that one thing, but you don't fix all the other problems surrounding it, and that's actually what modern medicine is today. Target. Target one symptom with a drug. And that doesn't work. We know. Well, it makes it makes no sense at all. Yeah. Right. Okay. We're being invaded. There's a soldier right there coming in. Yes, shoot him. I understand that. But if they keep coming, maybe you need to figure out where they're coming from, yep. and you know, bring the conflict there instead of just waiting for people to come after you. And that's how medicine works today. Like, yeah. so okay, you know, my arm hurts. I have no problem with doing some things to alleviate the pain, but it just might be a good idea that we figure out why you haven't, you know, fell down and broke your arm and yet it hurts. Something must be amiss because the body doesn't just decide, gee, I'd like the arm to hurt now, so I'll do that. Yeah, yeah. And um, it, it, people are amazed when I tell them, I go, you realize that doctors haven't studied nutrition in over 30 years. Yeah. They don't get any nutrition in medical school, and to be healthy, 
and to teach health and to help people, how can you not know the basic building block that is all of life, which is what you put in your mouth, and not understand that concept? That to me is – it's insane. It's pure insanity to think that you don't need to know nutrition to help people on you know, the medical level. Uh, no, that doesn't work <laughs> at all. It, it's like trying to be um... – a master mechanic and not understanding fuel. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's a I mean, that's, that's the easiest way I can explain it. So could you talk about your primal power method? What, you know, what are the key principles that you base it on? Because it, it's principle-based rather than just like A, B, C, eat A, B, C, and D, don't eat E, F, and G. Yeah, and that's how a lot of books are written, uh, almost all of them today. And it's, yeah, it basically tells you what you can and can't do instead of explaining, well, why. And I'm more of a – I'm a simpleton. I like things simple, um, which is interesting coming from the government because everything was completely complicated for absolutely no reason. Um, and I probably – part of it is why I got sick of that. But my basic principles are knowledge is power is the first one, and that's because you have to know why you're changing. Why do you need to make that change? Why should you eat this? Why should you not eat that? Why should you not – you know, uh, squat 450 pounds as an average person because it makes no sense. Um, avoid extremes because that's basically the diet world. That's the second one. Diet world today is just pure extremes. All right, we're going to cut you down to 800 calories from the 3,000 you've been eating, and we're going to exercise you for three hours on P90X. Okay, that doesn't work either. So, <laughs> yeah, so I tell people it's about it, – it, it's not a race. You know, it's, it's a long journey you're taking, and you have to take it in pieces. So don't do things in extremes. And my main principle is keep it simple, and that's the third one. And it's just today we've overcomplicated everything in our life, everything. I mean, I, I see people, and the first thing I have to do is I have to talk to them about their mental health and how to kind of detoxify their personal life and their life because they're so shot, and they've created all this stress on their own. It's, I tell them, keep it simple. Keep your life simple, and what we're going to do is we're going to run you through some basic principles. That's it. And they're like, that's it? I don't have to buy a bunch of equipment. I don't have to go on a meal plan. I don't have to buy all these you know, 15 supplements from some multi-leveled marketing scheme. And I'm all, no, we're not doing, we don't do that here. Um, and something is better than nothing. I tell people, it's, again, that goes to the avoid extremes, is you just need to do something every day. You know, make a change, a little one here and there, it adds up. You know, a year later, you've made huge changes. You're a perfect example of that. Um, and take action today and every day is the fifth principle. And that's just to make sure you stay on path. Uh, what happens with a lot of people is they get into it for about, you know, 10, 14 days. They're all hard charging. You know, they're eating their 800 calories of highly toxic grains and no fat and exercising three hours a day and their joints are getting destroyed and everything else and, you know, all the catabolism of their muscle tissue. And I go, no, just you don't need to do that. And then they burn out. I'm all, no, 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 just constant. Just do something every single day. Walk. I mean, that's one of my main things I tell people is just walk 30 minutes after dinner. Take the dog, take the kids, walk. And they're amazed at what big difference that makes. Not only is it getting the blood moving, but it's a decompression. It's to kind of let everything of the day's stresses go. So you're getting exercise and you're getting a little mental health as well. So those are the five principles, and I just like to say I try and keep it very basic. 
I've found the stress component is in some ways possibly even more important than what you eat or how much exercise you get. That when I separated myself from what I consider the toxic psychological components of my life and started focusing on things where I could actually make a difference, that all of my results accelerated. Would you say that's been common with others? Yeah, and that's why I'm different from all the other people out there in my genre is I start with the mental aspect. I tell them if you're not ready, I basically interview them. I say if you're not ready to change and you're mentally in the game, I'm not going to take you on. And they're shocked. They're like, you're not? And I go, no. You have to take me. Yeah, yeah, that's what they go. I need help. And I go, yeah, you need help. But unless you're willing to really dedicate yourself and change your life, we're not talking about just changing your diet and exercising. You have to have a whole new mindset on life in general. You have to look at life through a whole different set of lenses now. And they're like, oh, okay. And I go, and I give you six months. If you're not on on track and doing well in six months, I fire you. I don't have time. I've got to move on. There's other people that need help. I can only help so many people. You're firing customers. Now you sound like me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that I go, I just, and you always get the, um, I always ask when I do my seminars, I ask them, I go, so why are you here? And I'll get, you know, hands and I go, okay. And they'll tell me, I go, so how many of you are here for your family? And you want to change for your kids, your husband, your wife. And I get a whole bunch of hands. I go, you guys realize you're already starting off on the wrong foot, right? And they go, what? what, what? I go, you need to be here to change for you. You are the one who has to want to change. If you're doing it for someone else, I, I call it, uh, it, it's like deflecting your failure before you've ever even started it. Because now you're putting the burden on someone else instead of yourself. You got to put all that burden on yourself because you're the one who has to want to change for you, then family, then children, then friends. And they're just kind of shocked that I go that route. But I go, if you, I've just learned over life, you know, unlike a 20 something year old writing a paleo cookbook, I've been through life. And I've noticed that if you do not do this for yourself, the failure rate is high. I mean, it's 90 plus percent. But if you're you in, you know, Gary, yeah. if you listen to the show that I record, you know, of course, your show's going out tomorrow from, from us right now. Uh, but if you listen to the show that I recorded today, um, I think you'll be amazed at how similar we take an approach on that. And, and that the show that I put out today has absolutely nothing to do with nutrition. But I, I was saying the exact same things that we have been taught that being selfish is wrong. And there's like greed selfishness. I want what you have at your expense. Yep. But the reality is we need more positively selfish people in the world today because if you can't look after yourself, you can't look after anybody else. Yeah, exactly. If you're, yeah, if you're putting all of your energy into helping everyone around you but you're not fixing yourself, well, eventually you just disintegrate. Your health goes. Your mental stability goes. Everything goes because you've never worked on yourself. And this is a common thing I see, too, with people is they don't know how to think for themselves because they're too busy, you know, doing that. They're trying to help their family and help this person. And I'm all, no, 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 no. You're getting too scattered. And I talk about firing friends. And I talk about, you know, if you're unhappy in your, in your, in your marriage and you're really miserable, you need to leave. And they're like, oh, wait, you, whoa, 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 whoa. Now you've gone into a whole uncomfortable zone. 
I go, well, why would you stay in a marriage that's toxic to your health and toxic to your life, toxic to your kids? Why? I don't get it. And if you have a bad friend who calls you at midnight crying all the time about how their boyfriend or girlfriend left them and now they need to move to a new apartment and they've done that, but you call them when you need help and they never call you back, yeah, you, you probably need to fire that friend. And it's just, yeah, it's a tough love kind of concept, but it's reality. And I think that's a problem with today's world, too, is we just don't live in reality. We live in the Kardashian lifestyle, and that's just garbage. I, I tell people right off, I go, if you watch the Kardashians for any form of entertainment, stop. You're, ma- you're making yourself stupider by watching something so incredibly dumb. And Because I've got that. They go, but it's so – I just tune out. And I go, why don't you tune out watching the History Channel? Yeah. You know, I want you yeah. to learn something. I mean, yeah. yeah. Dude, I'm telling you, long-term listeners of this show right now are going, come on, Jack, this is your brother you never told us about. <laughs> I mean, you sound, I mean, we sound so similar with that. I mean, and that is, that's a dumbing down of society uh, at, at a, I believe, a formulaic level. Like, that's not just, okay, we're stupid, so they know to give us that because we'll, we'll eat it. It's, they know that by providing this type of thing, they will further dumb down society and get more control. Exactly. And it, when it, it also a proven fact is over the last hundred years, our brains have shrunk by 10%. So we are getting stupider. I mean, physiologically, <laughs> it's there. The evidence is there. And where does that come from? Poor nutrition. So once you have this uh, basically mental degeneration, well, of course, stupid things seem more entertaining because now you're dumb. Have you ever seen the movie Idiocracy? Oh, my God. One of the best movies that never hit mainstream. It was a B yeah. movie, and it is. it was funny because it was a comedy, but it was satire, but it was dead on. Oh, it makes you sad for society when you really think about it. You just, you know, you're like, wow, really? And you, you realize how spot on it is. And, you know, the guy, oh, I like money, too. What are the odds that we both would like money? And yeah. It's like there's so many great quotes in that. And the thing is, when you're watching the guy that's supposed to be ridiculously over the top in, in, in that movie, you go, I know that person. I've met that person. Yeah, it was weird to see the parallels in our society today in that movie. And uh, especially from a movie where you're talking, you know, those are all made by these far lefties that live in Hollywood. And it was weird to see that kind of twist on a movie like that. And I was all, whoa, okay, interesting. Because um, me and you are the same. I mean, heck, we're the. I think we're the same age. And you know, I'm I'm a libertarian. I I worked around these people, so I've been around the right and left. They're both a bunch of morons. You know, <laughs> I mean, I've sat there. I've stood right next to Anthony Weiner when he was a freshman in uh, in Congress, and he was an idiot. I mean, the guy yeah, was a complete tool. Don't doubt it. You know, and I think the maybe that, that movie, the reason it never went like mainstream is like once they made it, they went, oh crap, this is too much. Yeah. We, we can't really, really push this. We'll just let it be a little, like, you know, it's like Office Space, right? It's like this little cult-following movie that the people that have seen it are all like, this is one of the most important movies you could ever watch, even though it's totally ridiculous. And, and then, you know, most people have never even heard of it. You're, you're dead on with that because, yeah, Office Space and, uh, God, what is it, Stupidicity or what is that what it was called? I'm trying to remember. Idiocracy. Idiocracy. I was always trying to remember. Yeah. And, uh uh, yeah, you look at those movies, and those honestly had some influence in my life because I watched yeah. them and I went, "These guys are right." You know, Office Space about working in a cubicle and and dealing with these, uh, you know, these moron bosses, and and that's your life. 
that's your yeah. life for the next 50 years, and then when you're done, you get to die this miserable, unhealthy death of cancer or, you know, Luke Gehrig's disease or something, and it's like, yeah. this is not what life's about. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you were a special agent uh, for the FDA, yeah. correct? Yeah, I was a special you, agent for U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, FDA, and uh, State Department. I was diplomatic security service and military before that. Now, I've, I've always been telling people that, like, you know, there's stuff that's toxic in our food systems, and there's pr- policies and procedures that are detrimental to our health, and these people know it. Do you have any interesting stories from back then that you can share that maybe lead one to believe that's true? Oh, God. I've been asked to talk about that many. I actually asked to write a few books on that. Um, I'm real careful with what I talk about. Um, Obviously, I signed a lot of non-disclosure agreements, and but probably the biggest and the most obvious, and this is anything that anyone can research, is the cross-pollination between Monsanto and the top of FDA. And that should be just enough to convince you right there that the heads of Monsanto are now the heads of the FDA. Former heads of the FDA now are the heads of Monsanto. Well, Monsanto created Agent Orange in Vietnam. Hmm, that doesn't sound healthy. And now they're the, you know, the kings of genetically modified seeds. And we've all been told they're safe. That's a little bit disturbing. I don't know to just me. I would hope to everyone. <laughs> that, that was probably the biggest shock to me because uh, Mr. Taylor, you know, he's the former head of Monsanto. Now he's the head of the FDA. Doesn't anyone see kind of a... Uh, you know that that doesn't seem right. You know, and it's in every it's in every major department of government. There's like 18 major departments of government, yeah. and I, I put a Venn diagram up on Facebook one time, and it was you know Monsanto, Dupont, Conagra, and the FDA, and there was like back and forth, and then the overlap. But then it was you know it was it was you know the ATF. It was every single major yep. branch of government had the same thing going on. And and people were, and some of people were like, I don't get it. And I'm like, well, here's a great movie for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that's where what makes me unique in in what I do is there's no one with my background in this industry. Not one person. I'm the only guy. I have to say that I think that's an absolute factual uh, claim, Gary. I, I've I've never met anybody with that background that's in the health and nutrition world, and is specifically from an anti mainstream side like primal paleo where you're like yeah you could eat fat you could eat meat and it, you know people are like that's that's killing us every cardiologist knows that well that's what they've been trained yeah yeah and uh, when you look at that is a good point you made of the government because i spent you know almost half my life in the government so i i know it pretty well um you know going from the military to law enforcement to these these uh food and drug agencies i got to see a whole wide spectrum of how the government works. And you're totally right. The incestuous relationships within our government today are disgusting. I mean, they're appalling, disgusting, corrupt, criminal. I don't know how many bosses I worked with that I I was like, I think I like hanging out with the criminals better because I know what I'm going to get with them. I know where they're coming from. You, I don't know. And because the criminals were, you know, you just knew what you're getting. With your boss, they were basically criminals hiding behind a badge or an office or a position. And that's what was probably near the end that I just couldn't take anymore. I just, you kept thinking, oh, I'll go to this agency and it won't be as bad. It just kept getting worse. 
<laughs> and I was like, what am I doing? What am I doing? And I told my last boss, I said, I'm not leaving for the reasons you think I am. I'm re- leaving to save my soul. I went, if I stay here, this will ruin and end my life. There's no doubt about it. And he just looked at me like, whatever, you know? And I went, yeah, exactly, whatever. And, yeah, uh, here's a movie for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I think I'm going to make a shirt in our gear shop that's going to say that. I have a movie for you to watch. <laughs> And just not say – that's all it's going to say, and it's like an inside joke or something. Yeah, it's – you know, and that's why I think my perspective uh, – you know, my company's fairly new. We're going through some changes, but people are catching on that I'm legitimate. Uh, I didn't just come out here to, uh, you know, sell some paleo product or primal product that – this is my lifestyle. This is my life. You know, I started, like I said, at seven years old in athletics and been decades deep into this, uh, down the wrong road and now the right road. And, uh, you know, I challenge, uh, you know, a lot of these people, uh, I've challenged a couple people to some discussions in my genre and they won't, they won't touch me. <laughs> yeah. They'll, they'll still steer way clear because they know, you know, how do you gain 20 pounds of muscle in your late fifties and look like, uh, an exercise model? Huh. I won't mention any names, but yeah, there's a lot of synthetics that go into that, that you must take for a long time. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's not to knock anyone, but it's like, if you're going to do that, at least be truthful about it. Sure. You know, I know what I, I, people are shocked that I weigh 140 pounds. They're like, what? You weigh 140 pounds? I go, yeah. I'm pretty much evidence that I'm not doing anything, you know, medically to enhance myself. This is all through years and decades of hard work and knowledge. And I get a lot of people that will come to me, and uh, I've had older guys who see these older guys who are all ripped and muscular, and they go, hey, Gary, uh, you know, how do I do that? How, yeah. And they're hinting. Yeah. I'm not your doctor. Feel good. I, I'm, yeah. I'm not here to inject you full of, you know, HGH and testosterone. That's not what I do. Yeah. And, yeah, so it gets a little tricky in that. Realm. And, you know, those guys that are in their 50s that are built like that, I, I put them in two camps. One, they've... The people you're talking about, and two, the people that look like that, that are legitimate, that are in that age bracket, have looked like that for many years. Yeah, yeah. They they yeah. they train their entire lives. Greg Ellis is a perfect example yep. of that. He looks like he did when he was 30 because he never quit training. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I I tell people. I went just look at the you know look at the history and and if they've all of a sudden become really ripped and really big, um, yeah, diet's great and you know exercising's great, but Physically, that's literally impossible, and you don't have the testosterone levels in your fifties to really add a ton of muscle. No, you know you might gain if you're you know if you're a very skinny guy and have been unhealthy, you might put on five pounds of muscle. You're not gonna put on twenty. That I can no. guarantee. So yeah, yeah, it's a it's a problem that I deal with in this genre, and uh, you know I, I'm trying not to poke people in the eye. And I'm trying to be nice here and there, but I don't know how to get the truth out. By not, I have to separate myself from those people. Oh, you do it without names. You just do it with this doesn't work. Yeah. This is BS. And then when somebody says that, well, that's their choice to say that. You're just saying what does work and what doesn't work. Um, what do you think? Because I've asked this to everybody that, that's been on the show mm-hmm. about health and nutrition. What do you think the primary factor is, is that's you know screwing up America's overall health today? Like the num, there was one thing you had to put your finger on. So this is the number one thing. 
that's making Americans sick and dead, what would it be? Oh, there's actually two. Okay. Um, but uh, it would be sugar and bad information. Okay. Because uh, they kind of go hand in hand. Um, the bad information tells you to eat a lot of sugary items, <laughs> you know, because it's going to make you feel good. Uh, but sugar is definitely the, probably the primary just because sugar is toxic. I mean, it's toxic to humans. It's well known that it's toxic. And people go, well, there's sugar in vegetables, there's sugar in fruits. Yeah, but we were never meant to mainline it. Refined sugar no. is something that the human body is never meant to be exposed to. I mean, how about this? So, because you've mainlined, now you're going to a drug term, and it's, it's, it's a perfect analogy. In South America, there are all these tribes that were very aware of, of the coca plant that they made cocaine from. Yeah. And these guys used it medicinally for thousands of years by just chewing the leaf in a natural state. No one got addicted. No one got a habit and ended up losing their family. They used it when they were working really hard. Yeah. And, and there was no history of any problems. What happens when we refine it and people start putting it up their nose or into their veins or into their lungs? It destroys lives. Yep. Yeah. And that's what we've done with sugar. Yeah, well, and sugar and getting into the drug debate, you know, uh, our war on drugs, are not too dissimilar. And, yeah. and especially the physiological reaction in your brain that you have to sugar, they've proven it. It is just like heroin and cocaine. That's the, that's the effect it has on your brain chemistry, releasing dopamine and serotonin in huge doses. And you get addicted to it. And it's uh, alcoholism. And I have clients that drink too much, and I tell them, I go, okay, you're not really addicted to alcohol technically. Alcohol is a form of sugar, and you, instead of going through the normal digestive process, it's metabolized in your stomach and liver primarily. So you're right. mainlining sugar again, and it goes straight to your brain. And they go, I've never thought of it that way. And I go, well, yeah, you've got to look at what it is. It's a refined grain is where it comes from or a starchy food item. That's turned in and broken down through fermentation into basically a sugar. And so it's pre-digested. Now you're getting a pre-digested sugar. And that's just like how uh, table sugar is made. We basically have refined it. And the average human today, person in America, consumes about 45 teaspoons of sugar a day in their diet. I tell, I tell all my clients, to go, go home, pour 45, 43 teaspoons of sugar in a bowl just to see how much that is. And I go, if you were to ingest that all in one dose, you would either die or go into a coma. But you're spreading it out over a day, so you're slowly killing yourself instead of just getting it all at once and just keeling over. And, you know, you're only supposed to ingest about eight teaspoons of sugar, and that includes the sugar in your food. That's a pretty see, drastic difference. See, and I don't think that most people understand that a lot of things that are looked at as being a carbohydrate, not a sugar, are actually a sugar. Yeah. And so convertible, you might as well be eating sugar. Let's look at things like white bread or potatoes. I'm a brewer. I brew beer. I like beer. I don't care what you say. I'm going to quit drinking some beer and some other things, right? Um, I'm happy with my life. Anyway, so, but as a brewer, I know certain starch conversion ratios. And do you know that if I'm brewing something and I want to boost the sugar content in it, that a pound of bread in a in a in a you know in a mash conversion fermentation cycle is exactly equivalent to a pound of pure sugar. I get yeah. the same alcohol yield, and I can do that also with potato. Those two will give me an identical yield of fermentable sugars to just a pure refined sugar. And when you eat a potato, you might as well just look at that and go, 
okay, that's that's a handful of sugar. Yeah, well, and it's like being duped into uh, the whole wheat craze now. You oh, know yeah, that, yeah. and modern wheat has been hybridized so many times. It's got hundred the hundred times amount of gluten of any other grain now, and not only that, but it turns into a super sugar when we digest it. So the glycemic index of uh, wheat while you're eating it is totally different than what happens when it's digested as far as the glycemic load because it, it, the way it's broken down, it actually enhances the, the monosaccharides and the sugar content to be absorbed into your bloodstream. So you're better off eating the white bread than you are the wheat bread technically <laughs> by sugar. And yeah, and trying to get people off that in the beginning is one of my my steepest challenges because they go, but Gary, I've been told whole grains are are great for me. Well, every time something's advertised as wholesome, that you have a wheat field waving in the background. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a complete brainwashing. It, it is, and and you know, that's the great thing about Primal too is you talk about beer. Um, I've gotten away from beer because as I've changed my health over several several years now, the gluten kills me. I, I mean, one beer just lights me up. Um, sure. Unless it's like a, a, you know, a, a light beer. I drink three or four of those, you know, and I'm, but I'll get bloated noticeably quickly. And I did an experiment where I went out on a friend's uh, bachelor party and I decided to eat exactly and drink exactly how they do and just wiped my diet off the plate. And I gained eight and a half pounds in two days. Wow. Yeah, it was water retention and swelling from all the gluten and all the yeah carbohydrates and toxins I was ingesting. It took me about seven days for the, all the puffiness and the water weight to go away. But see, that's your whole point, though. That you know, I can go out and have a couple of beers tonight, and I don't have any of those effects because we're yeah. different beings, you and I. Yeah, and that's what I mean. I I don't tell people that. Oh no, you can't drink beer. Yeah. Trust me, Jack. I love beer, but I know <laughs> I know it's going to get me. And you know, I'll have one, and it'll be a treat. And I just know that I could be up all night, you know, and or get a really bad night of sleep. So now I drink, you know, uh, vodka and soda water. That tends to be okay for me. Is it healthy? Eh, you know, it's not bad. But well, here's how I look at that. You read my article that I recently did, so you know. There yeah. are some things that I eat or consume yeah. that are not healthy. But sooner or later, I'm going to be a dead-in-the-ground guy anyway. I just try to live my life in a very healthy way. And I actually think that you can actually, by not occasionally having an indulgence here and there, Set yourself up for failure because you become so obsessed with it that you know you 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 end up like just falling out because now you convince yourself well I can never have that again. Yeah, yeah, you become obsessed, and that's what I talk about is you never want to do that. I don't do that either. There's things I eat that I should not be eating, but you know what? I like them, and I know that they're bad for me, but I just don't eat them every day. That's correct. You know, I don't go out and. Eat, like you said, the peanut butter, pumpkin spice latte, you know, sandwich or whatever in the latest <laughs> paleo book, you know. I don't eat the paleo scone and the paleo, you well, know, pancakes. That's the big problem because they people make that stuff, they try to minimize the carb count or whatever, and then they call it paleo. So then the guy that's on paleo is confused, like, well, I need all the paleo scones and pumpkin latte breads. Yeah. I, and no, no, you can't. Those are... You know, if they were used at all properly, they would be the exception that, like, when you go out and go off the reservation, you haven't gone quite as far off the reservation, but you've still left. Yeah, and you've left by quite a large stride. And <laughs> even though it's claimed as being healthy, but that's what you get when you have someone with no background whatsoever in nutrition or health. 
And don't give me that. It's not a bad thing, but I mean some of these people writing books are cosmetologists and you know hair design. I'm like, whoa, that is a little too far of a stretch. I mean I don't think anyone would hire me to, to do uh, help them with their financing and help them invest money. I have no background in that. And it's kind of the same thing that's going on. But, yeah, it's just understanding that rule of, hey, you know, if I have that scone, uh, that's all right. You know, I have my, have my coffee, my scone. I know it's a treat. And you just don't do it every single day. And in the beginning, you just don't cu- cut it. I tell people, don't cut it out cold turkey either. You're addicted to this stuff. You're addicted to sugar. You've got to wean yourself off. You know, you, if you try and do it in two weeks, the headaches and the aches and the crabbiness and the, oh, it's literally like a drug withdrawal. It's just like you're going off oxycodone, and it's yeah. very similar. I've watched them do it. They get the cold sweats. You know, they, yeah. They're just really agitated, angry, and I go, okay, that's why we taper. <laughs> that's why we yeah, taper. Yeah, see, I took a different approach. I, went, I was like, I am an addict, and I've got to go through the heroin withdrawal. <laughs> and my solution was just like you see like the guy that's in the drug rehab center like smoke like four packs of Marlboros a day, but at least it's not heroin. Yeah. So, so my thing was, you know what? I'm just going to freaking eat a slab of bacon every morning, right? I, a whole slab. And I, but I just got off all of the things that were high in sugar, high in carbohydrates, everything. And it, I think it made it a little bit better. But, yeah, it sucked for a couple of weeks. And, and when I had Dr. Ellis on, he, he said, yeah, that's a lot of people can't go through it that yeah. way. and You don't have to. Um, but, yeah, I went through it that way. But what I noticed is as bad as I felt – it wasn't as bad as I was feeling every day anyway. Yeah. Because I used to have hypoglycemia like crazy. If, if we were getting ready to go out and I hadn't eaten anything yet, my wife would be like, you want to eat something before we leave? And I was like, no, nah, I'm not hungry. She's like, no, you're eating something before we leave because you're going to be an atomic asshole <laughs> two hours from now if you don't. Yeah. You're going to be sweating. You're going to be angry. You're going to be agitated. You're stuck. And you're going to be like, we've got to go get something to eat now. And that's how I used to be. And I know you do some stuff with fasting. I do too, but it's not planned. Um, it's one twenty nine p.m. right now. Uh, what I've had today is a couple cups of coffee with some heavy cream. I'm not hungry. Yeah. If I had done this two and a half years ago, right now I'd be like, dude, we got to end an interview. I got I to go eat something. <laughs> and, and that feeling was miserable, and I think it was just basically the withdrawals, but you were getting them throughout the day until you took your drug again. Yeah, and and it's different strokes for different folks. I tell them, and I have people just like you, that we can hammer it out in two weeks, and they're fine. They're all, just give me the pain, Gary. I can take yeah. the pain. I'm all, good, we're going to do it. Then there's other people that go, oh, no, no, no. They start feeling bad, and I go, okay, let's let's taper it off a little bit. But that's why I tell them to take you know certain supplements to help uh, alleviate some of the symptoms of detox. One of yeah. the guys I'm going through right now um, – he had a pretty severe detox, and he goes, God, Gary, I never believed what you were telling me. He goes, I feel awful. <laughs> yeah. And I said, well, yeah, you've been eating like crap for you know four decades. You know, Now in three weeks, you're trying to cut it all out. Yeah, you're going to feel like crap. I warned you. And he's all, yeah. He goes, but I will say this. He goes, as painful as it's been, he goes, I don't want to eat the stuff I used to eat anymore. He goes, I, I can't do it. And that's the whole part is you've got to get past that point. Once you get past that point, all the toxic foods you used to eat actually are repulsive. Um, I try. It takes a while, yeah. but it does happen. You like because you're like, you know what? I'm gonna go out. I'm gonna eat this today because I've earned it. And you you start eating it and you go, well, this tastes like crap. Yeah, fast yeah. food for me today. I, I can't do it. It is. I can't smell it. Oh, I can't smell it. Yeah, I smell yeah. it. I'm all, oh. And I actually get a little nauseous. 
Yeah. And that should tell you right there of what that's going to do to your body right there. If you're smelling it and it's giving you that reaction, that's your body already telling you through its own senses that, hey, so, stay away. Don't eat that, yeah, right? stay away. People always ask me, like, how do you know your eggs are still good? You'll know if an egg's bad as soon as you crack it. Yeah. Right? So we yeah. have this hardwired instinct to, like, know that, like, something's bad. And when your body is repulsed by something, don't eat it. Well, it's just like the oils, you know, and I tell a lot of my clients, I go, they go, well, how do I know an oil's bad? I go, sniff it. You know, yeah. it, if it smells bad, it's bad. And they're all, but all my oils smell that way. I go, because they're all bad. <laughs> so, yeah, because <laughs> you've been buying all the stuff at Vons or Safeway or whatever. And I go, of course, that stuff's all rancid by the time it hits the shelf. I mean, you got to really pay attention to what you buy. And, you know, that's a whole nother, I'm getting ready to uh, start working. I finished the writing of a book on organics and GMOs. And it's where I teach people how to go now take the next step and actually eliminate uh, GMOs and shop for organic foods and, you know, free-range chicken and beef and bison and lamb and where to go get them with all the resources. But I don't throw all that at people right away because it's just too much. It's too much information. That's awesome. Um, ha, ha, where are you all, all, at on fat? I mean, there's Love different – wor- Yeah, okay, great. I, are there any fats that you, like, say, to, to stay away from and, and any fats you find particularly good? I mean – Pretty much all animal fats, I think, are fine. Um, I'm fine with olive oil. Uh, I wouldn't, you couldn't get me near a drop of soybean oil, but it's because yeah. it's soy. Avocados, I think, are just awesome. I mean, where are you at with that whole, like, where the fat comes from? Well, yeah, and th- if you can, obviously, you want to get a, pro- a majority of your fat from an animal source because it's saturated. That's just like human beings for the most part. It's obviously you have polyunsaturated, monounsaturated in any fat. It's all there. It's just the majority is what gets labeled. So if it's a majority saturated, they call it a saturated fat, even though there's monounsaturated and polyunsaturated fats within that fat. Um, That's just how we've done it. Um, But if you stored your fat as polyunsaturated fat, which is liquid at room temperature, well, we'd all have our fat on our feet. So that's why I've always, you know, I work with people too. I say, hey, get that saturated fats bad. We store saturated fat. We store it for a reason that way because it's good. Animals store it as fat as that's your energy reserve. That's what you use. The bad side of saturated fat within animal products is when you're doing the CAFO uh, meats and you're doing, you know, confined animal feeding operation, your mainstream, your, you know, your Tyson and all that good stuff is that they store humans and animals, all animals store toxins in their fat. So if you're going to eat an animal with a lot of fat, that's a CAFO animal. Well, you're going to do yourself a disservice because you're ingesting all the steroids and you know all the you know uh, antibiotics and all the soy everything that's been in their feed you're going to be eating because it's stored in their fat um so i tell people that if you can make the conversion you're not going to die tomorrow but i recommend that you go to a free range organic meat source soon as you can Um, but if not you trim the fat um on those animals uh even though i'm totally against doing that in that situation it makes more sense uh, most people overdo the polyunsaturated fats, your omega-3s and omega-6s. We already get way too many omega-6s in our grains because that's primarily refined grains. But omega, your, your polyunsaturates are supposed to be a small majority of your total fat intake, about 5 to 7% roughly. It depends. It varies for everyone. Um, but when it comes to you know like eating bacon, sausage that's made from, you know, a free range organic animal, organically fed animal. Heck yeah. 
That stuff's good. You know, it's naturally cured. That's that's fabulous. Uh, avocados. I eat avocados almost every day. I live in California. They're year round. Sure. Um, you know, olive oil's great. Um, don't cook in it though. A lot of mistakes people make with olive oils. They cook in it. Well. It's an, your most, your fat stabilization goes, saturated is the most stable, monounsaturated is less stable, polyunsaturated is the least stable. So that means they have different uh, smoking points for cooking. You always want to cook with your saturated fats because they're the most stable. That's why you always hear use coconut oil, lard, tallow, palm oil, real organic butter because they have higher heating points. Well, olive oil is actually pretty fragile and when you cook with it, it oxidizes. And so when you oxidize a fat like that, it turns into free radicals. Free radicals are a natural part of the body. We could get into a whole conversation about oxidation and free radicals. But what you want to do is you want to avoid that. So if you're cooking your food, cook it in a saturated fat and then add the polyunsaturated or the monounsaturated fat like olive oil afterwards. Then, gotcha. Yeah, it's a drizzle. I tell people those, you know, you can cook in avocado oil. It has a higher point but i really don't cook in it because it just doesn't have a good flavor to it and the reason those don't have a real good flavor is because they're oxidizing they're turning rancid so you get a little bitter kind of off taste that's why um so always cook in your saturated oils that's the best way to go but deep frying and all that all fry i got recipes of deep fried fish that i catch and it's you know i use almond flour and uh you know eggs and batter it all up and i deep fry it in coconut oil it's healthy. Awesome. Yeah, it's, awesome. it's totally yeah. healthy. It's just done completely differently than Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yeah, we do chicken wings, right? And we'll just we just fry the chicken wings. Yeah, that's right. We don't put anything on them. Oh, I just fry them, and then you make some kind of seasoning to put on them afterward. I mean, you, you don't need chicken skin is great. It chicken, gets all oh, nice and crispy on its own. Love chicken skin. Yeah, and uh, yeah, everyone always goes, "Do I need to peel a chicken?" I'm well, no. You want to eat that? That's the good stuff. Unless, again, it's a chicken that's had its beak and claws and feathers plucked out and has a life of about six weeks, then you probably want to avoid it. But, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's just making better choices. And that's what my whole concept in the primal power method is all about. It's about making better choices, not a perfect choice. You're never going to be perfect. So just do the best you can. And the 80-20 rule, if you do it 80% of the time and 20%, you know, you're kind of off, you'll be fine. You know, we our bodies are designed to detoxify the natural foods we eat are detoxifiers, um, especially your your vegetables. That's what they do. That's why they have a lot of antioxidants in them. They're meant to detoxify your body. They're not meant as a primary nutrition source because technically they're mainly water with some minerals and some vitamins and fiber. They're you get your you get your main nutrition from fat and protein. So, you know, we're talking here all about the concepts behind primal and paleo and how confusing things can be. Where should the person that's like, because I, I get this all the time, like, what, what book should I get? And I'm like, you know, I, I actually really like what Rob Wolf's done. Mm -hmm. And usually it's like, okay, for now and up till now anyway, it's been like, you can get his book. You can get a book like Gary Collins. I can't think of the guy that does the primal book like i can get any of these books and they're a guideline but i've always had to say but listen i don't agree with everything that these people say and there's certain and i think there's you know some differences from one person to another yeah. and, and really try to drive home the point like i'm not saying buy this and do exactly what this says 
Yeah, well, you you disagree, you know you're never going to agree with everyone wholeheartedly. That's just the way it is. Um, except for mine. I mean, my book is perfect, of course. <laughs> but no, I mean, there's things in my book that I read now, kind of like, uh, well, because your 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 attitude changes over time too. There's certain things that I, 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 you're like the only person I've ever had on the show with the stones to admit that. Yeah. You read your own book and go, I don't know if I agree with myself since like last year when I wrote this. Yeah, because you're always changing and evolving, and I'm aging. My body's changing. So, and I work with more and more clients with different conditions, and I go, well, so what I try and do is I just try and split the middle of the road to make it the most understandable and give people the basic facts that works for the majority. Um, you know, Rob Wolf's book is great. I don't know if I could re- recommend that to the average consumer, though. There's a ton of biochemistry in there that's just going to fog your, your eyes over. I, be fair to him, what he says about that is you can skip this whole part. This he is does. for the people that won't believe it, right? Yeah, he does. And the only way I've ever been able to recommend that book is to say, you got to go look at his current blog yeah. and put that with his yeah. book because, you know, he's like, you know, all lean me. And then, you know, like you look at his blog, and he's like, yeah, how to render lard. I cook with bacon grease. So it's like he's made that change, but he hasn't like done version two of the book. Well, yeah. And that's where it gets confusing again, though, too, is I, I try and change. I'm already changing my book because I realized some of my views changed and I wanted to add a little more information in there and clean a few things up. Not a lot, but uh, I'm willing to do that. You know, I'm willing to have it out five or six months ago. OK, some things have changed. Let's let's tweak them a little bit on the next print. Um, and that's, you know, I, I, I try and make my blog follow my book. I try and make everything, even though there's different information. I try and keep the philosophy standardized because I think once you start splitting your opinion, you go, hey, if you want to hear about this side of what I think, go to my blog. If you want to hear this, go to my book. That's where I got confused. I did that with people's stuff, and I went, uh, what side of the fence am I supposed to be on? I don't know. And and nothing and nothing against Rob Wolf. Rob Wolf's stuff is great. It really is. Um, but I just don't know if I would start there. I think yeah. starting um, – I'll be biased. I think my book is the easiest to read. I just do. I've read them all. I mean, I <laughs> I wrote it. It's it's shorter than all of them. I think it's easier to read. I write in first person as opposed to third person. Um, I tell a story. Um, but the other one would probably the other two I like the best is uh, Weston A. Price's book. If you're going to start anywhere, I think that's the building block because it just gives you the evidence of someone who explored this, you know, 70, 80 years ago. And it still holds true today because he went and looked at all these primitive cultures that are healthy. Hmm. What, what, what was the main ingredient? Oh, they didn't eat the Western diet <laughs> or the modern diet. Okay. Yeah. But I think that's – even though that book, you can skip around a lot in that too. Um, and then Gary Taub's book, uh, Good Calories, Bad Calories, was just mind-blowing for me. And Gary Taub's is one of the nicest guys in the world. I, I've never met such a nice guy in this industry as he is. The guy – practice what he preaches. Um, his book is dense. I mean, the guy is a brilliant scientific writer. That's his background. But if you can get through um, some of the pieces in it, some of the, the, the uh, studies that he highlights are phenomenal. I mean, he just can dissect any study. But I would start with uh, probably, would you agree that uh, have you with uh, nutrition and physical degeneration as far as a, a starting block? I think it's great. I think that the issue that I have with that book is it really should be about three books yeah. Uh, yeah. just so you can read the freaking print in it. Yeah. 
like it's it was a very difficult book for me to read because like they crammed it into this the form factor to fit it into like a big thick book. Um, I would say a lot of books like you're better off getting the hard copy book than the Kindle version. Yeah, I think the Kindle version is best for that book because you can make the letters bigger so you can freaking read it. I mean, yeah. I had to struggle to get through it. Um, it's a great book. I would almost like to see a a Cliff Notes version of that book. Well, yeah, I'll talk. I actually, like I said, I'm pretty deeply involved with Price Pottinger, and uh, I'll maybe I'll ask them about that if they have any plans of uh, changing that. I'm trying to think of some other books that were real straightforward and simple. It's hard to say because for me and you, they probably are. But yeah. for the average person, they're not. Um, gosh, yeah, when it comes to just the basics – you know, with uh, with Rob Wolf and Lauren Cordain, you, you end up with one perspective because you're just getting paleo. Yeah. Um, so you have yeah. to realize that, and there's nothing wrong with that. I tell people starting with a paleo diet is a great place to start. It's a really good place to start, and Primal's paleo, and you know we are. We're integrated. We're not battling each other or anything like that. So, uh, gosh, uh, it, it will actually Gary Taub's book. Uh, why we get fat is kind of a sim- more simplified version of good calories, bad calories. Um, it's written for more the general consumer, but uh, probably, gosh, I'm trying to think. Just that's why I struggle. That's why I created everything I created and what I'm doing is because I think it's very con- confusing for the average consumer. Um, grabbing one of these books off the shelf, I'm, I'm actually looking at my shelf right now, trying to think if I can see anything that was real easy to read and get um oh well you know what actually michael Pollan's books are pretty good even though it's not into the primal paleo lifestyle um just the way he writes he's a very eloquent writer very easy to read um his basic uh food rules is a short little book that i i definitely highly recommend that i borrowed some of them for my book um you know uh I'm reading his cooking book right now, and it's it's fantastic. But it's a little different. It's not as dense. You're not going to get a how-to out of it. You're going to get more of a, a story, eloquent story, and a history. Um, Omnivore's Dilemma would be a good one to start with as well. Um, I don't know. What do you do? You have some favorites that you've read? Well, I, I like all of those. Um, I will definitely recommend your book to people. Uh, you sent me a copy. I thought it was great. In fact, I told you before we got on the air that I was working on my paleo article right when you sent me that your book. And I'm the kind of guy like I have. I'm so busy. If I don't get on shit right away, it's not going to happen. Yeah. So I got your book, and I'm like, well, I should start reading it right away. So I was sitting in front of the TV. My wife was watching something I'm not interested in, so I had on my PC, and I'm reading it. And I read like two pages of it. and I went like, okay, I got to stop doing this because it's gonna. It's going to change my article because it's so similar to what I'm already saying. Yeah. So I know that if somebody wants to get the this thing from me more of the way I have it today after refining it over you know three years now, that you're a great place to start. My big thing, and this is why I would recommend your book, is if somebody reads your book, they're going to understand right away that, okay, this is what I do. This is things that some other people I work with have done. This is where we don't do the same thing because we're different people. And you're going to have to fine-tune and secret sauce this thing for your own biochemistry. Yeah. Where most other books are like, this is what you do. Yeah. And I just find that to be – that's my always my holdback because I, I, I know fully well 
that one person can, okay, I'm going to put oats into my diet and soak them, and it'll work for that person. And someone else, it'll just derail the crap out of them. And I don't want to tell the one person you can't, and I don't want to tell the other person you can. Well, that's what screwed me up is I read these books years ago, and I followed exactly what they told me and just flared certain conditions up. Some things went away. Some got worse. And it was because I followed it to the T. They told me what to follow. I followed it. That's the kind of guy I am. I don't half-ass anything. And yeah, and that's what I realized too is it, it causes a lot of problems. And it's, it took me extra years to, de- <laughs> to figure it out. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to save people a lot of that pain that I, I had to go through and uh, some other people I know have gone through. And I, I think it's successful. Um, I've gotten a lot of good feedback already and people say, nah. Your book, I get it. I get it. And, uh, you know, and I'm always open to people email me questions all the time. And, and I encourage, I mean, as I get busier, I can't answer all of them or on Facebook or the blog. But yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's too complicated to put into one system. It just doesn't work that way. So you do call yours primal. Mm-hmm. You said it's integrated with paleo, but there are some differences, I guess, at yeah. least in, in this way. Some people uh, market the word paleo and they mean certain things, and you market the word primal and you mean certain things. So what are the variances there? Well, and they are. They're very individual terms. Um, The biggest difference between paleo and primal is, again, primal is a lifestyle. Paleo is a diet. Um, Some people have tried to turn paleo into a lifestyle, but that's not what it originally was intended to be. It's it's a diet. Um, And the differences on the diet side mainly are that with with paleo there's no grains no dairy on primal we're like well i don't recommend grains but if you can tolerate them and you think you can get away with them okay but i've tell people i go i'll bet you a a large amount of money that you're not going to be able to do the modern grain i'll i'll bet you and most are they can't do it uh once you take it out and you try and integrate it back in it doesn't work um, with dairy, um, 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 well, hey, if you're not lactose intolerant and you can handle raw, organic, real dairy, whole dairy, go for it. There's nothing wrong with that. There's been cultures for over, you know, tens of thousands of years that have used dairy. Um, yeah. Does it fit within the Paleolithic time period necessarily? Eh, that's up for debate. There's been it's up for debate because I guarantee yeah. you the paleo caveman that killed a nursing, uh, you know, wilderbeest. Yeah harvested that milk i'll bet you a million dollars if we can ever find a time machine we could vet that out well i bet you that's one of the first things they went for because it's so nutrient dense i mean that's why uh uh you know the first two days of a cow's milk is so highly regarded yeah what's that it's not called even milk it's It's colostrum colostrum yeah yeah Yeah. and i've had it. it it is incredibly dense um it tastes a little different um, don't get me wrong, but it's good. I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah. It's good, especially uh, it's it's like a cream. But yeah, I mean, it was highly regarded. And so, yeah, to tell me that dairy has no place, I just don't buy that. I just don't. Well, I've always actually – see, and this is where I've always struggled with recommending things with books or names or brands because – so I read Rob Wolf's book. That was like my first entry into paleo and – I immediately got what he was saying, but I also immediately channeled it with my own knowledge. Yeah. 
having experimented with the protein, high protein, uh, moderate fat, ultra low carbohydrate, like protein power plant, Atkins type of thing, 15 years earlier, having great results, but not being able to maintain it. I already knew, okay, you know, and, and then you're reading his book and he's going, no dairy, oh, but I can't really say not to use butter because I can't find a reason not to. Yeah. You know, biochemically, it's like, so my whole thing was, well, does it come from something that used to have a face? Right? Yeah. And if it does, okay, fine. It's an animal product. Yeah. Like, what does milk do? It makes meat. It's the precursor to meat, yeah. in fact. It's the right? basic it's the building block. Yeah. Grow. So I never had a problem with the dairy, and I was able to just say, well, I'll call it paleo, and I'll have dairy. And if you don't like it, you're not going to take my paleo League of America, Justice League of America card away from me. I, I get to do whatever I want. My concern has always been that the person you recommend it to won't be able to make that decision for themselves because people are far too trusting of authority, and the second somebody writes a book, all of a sudden they're an authority. Well, and that's the problem I have with this genre right now. I think there's a lot of people out there who don't have the background or experience, even life experience. I think you got to live life a little bit, and that's not – I'm not going to say that about Rob. Um, Rob's a brilliant guy. No, Rob has credentials. Yeah, Rob has, I, has definite credentials. But yeah, I think that's where it gets confusing because there are a lot of Rob Wolf disciples yeah. who have read his book or have that's trained at his credential. Yeah, they read his book, right? Yeah, and tra- trained at his gym or something, and now they're experts. I got a problem with that. Yeah. Um, I've spent decades of my life honing this, and uh, it's a little insulting when someone's been doing paleo for a year who's in their 20s, and now they're the expert and have five bazillion followers, and people think they're great. Uh, it's a little tough. Um, yeah. It's not a jealousy thing. It's just I just don't think they know what they're talking about enough. And someone like you, I mean, you're you're far enough along in life, and you've experienced so many things. You can take different information and and make your own decisions than someone you know in their 20s or someone who's in such horrible health. I mean, let's face it. The uh, your your podcast and and primal and pay. Kind of all go together. I mean, sure they do. That's why I sound so similar to you. Is I grew up differently. None of these guys grew up in the mountains hunting and fishing. I did. I mean, you know, I grew up a redneck. Sorry. Yeah, and it's hard to tell a person, okay, that because our hunter gatherer ancestors, and I'm even, you know, kind of pushing back against Rob here a little bit, and uh, and his 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 uh, mentor um, uh, Lauren, that you know that you know deer are low fat. When you've skinned a deer, right? When you've yeah. skinned a deer, you're like, okay, the meat's not marbled. The animal, ha- especially harvested in the fall, yeah, is loaded with fat. Well, no, it's not. Have you ever skinned yep. a deer? And that's no, yeah. Okay, why don't we go skin a deer, right? And that's why they and would never know. And that's what I mean. That's because me and you have this different background. We've hunted animals in different seasons. It's just like a human. Or, you know, yeah. the, the trout and salmon are low fat. It's like, eh? yeah. no, not, not. no, it's a different fat. I'll give you that. But they're not. No, you know, or you, you, people say that, you know, and well, I've heard people say, like, for really low fat, you can eat catfish, maybe farm raised catfish. I don't yeah, know. But no, I know no. when I've caught, you know, cats that are big enough that you don't oh, want to fillet them. You more cut like a steak, like a salmon oh, yeah. steak out of them. They're Throw that on the grill. And watch the grease come out and the flames come up. I was going to say, yeah, watch your house burn down. Lovely, lovely brown, right? Yeah. So don't tell me that there's no fat there because I've watched the fat cook out of the fish. Well, and that's what I mean. It's this whole different experience. And, uh, you know, that's why 
I can I try and separate myself from some of these people. And it's not that they're wrong. It's just I think I have a little more well-rounded experience than some of them. It's a good way to put it. They're yeah. not wrong. Yeah. They're just looking at a much smaller yeah. piece of the total truth. Yeah, and, and you know, like I told you uh, prior to the interview, I'm getting ready to move back into the mountains. I mean, I just bought a very isolated piece of property to hunt and fish, and most of these people today who are writing these books live in San Francisco, L.A., <laughs> New York. You'll like this. I actually had, again, won't mention any names, someone very well known in the holistic nutrition world tell me admittedly that they just learned how to cook their own food this year. Oh, wow. I went, what? I mean, I literally I about fell on my chair and just continues to tell me about this new adventure of cooking. And I'm like, you're writing books and you've got a lot of people following you and you're admitting to me you just learned how to cook? Learn how to cook. Yeah, I mean, that's and that's pretty basic. Yeah, yeah, and that's why this I tell is why people, you think yeah. my squirrel stew is low fat because you've never made it and you don't know that you start out with a big giant lug of bacon fat in there. Yeah, braise the squirrel. I mean, and that's that's the world a lot of these people are coming from. Um, you know, I, I just think that that it's one of these things that if you live the outdoor lifestyle, you have a much better understanding. Of what it would have been like. Now, they didn't have the, the hardware that you and I have available to us today. Yeah. I mean, even in the modern recurve bow is beyond the technology. But they had the technology to bring animals down. And if you've spent time in the wilderness, you know that the greatest return for your energy invested is an animal. And in you know if we can get past our cultural bias, is an insect. And those two foods are primarily fat and protein-based. Yeah, and, and that just leads you to the basic baseline of what human beings should be eating. Well, and, and it's a perfect example when you get into uh, these uh, grain lover debates and and things like that, or people who promote a lot of grains and low fat. And I go, okay, what would always be around in nature? Animals. What would you not have access to all the time? Vegetation. Yeah. Um, all, you know, if you live in a tundra or a place where there's snow during the winter months, which is primarily a lot of the world, how are you going to survive off, uh, you know, grains? Y yeah. You're not. And, well, here's, here's yeah. my solution. This would be my solution to everybody that says that grains are human food. We'll go to a place where wheat's growing or barley or anything you want. I will hand you a sicket. Go cut <laughs> some heads off the grain. Uh, Bring it back tie it up, and wait for it to become dry enough to thresh. Then thresh and winnow it, okay? Yep. Then convert it into something you can eat through grinding, cracking, cooking, whatever. Oh. And do that for a week, live that way for a week, and then tell me that a person in a primitive situation with limited resources would choose that as human food versus, oh, look, there's a deer. Let's put a spear in it and eat it. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I get that all the time, too, is I have uh, people come to me and go, hey, you know, I've, I, I heard, you know, about soaking grains. I know you talk about it a little bit. And I go, okay. I go, you do realize how much work this is. Correct. And they go, well, what do you mean? I go, you got to change the water multiple times. It's got to soak. And not only that, but the energy and resources it takes to make a grain an edible food. You have to use so much water to dilute all the phytates and toxins. And, you know, and you're never going to remove gluten. This is one thing people just totally don't understand 
is that there is technically no gluten-free grain. Yeah, barley, rye, and uh, wheat are the main gluten containers, but just because a grain doesn't have the molecule of gluten doesn't mean that it doesn't have a gluten derivative that is very, very close and actually causes the same symptoms. Okay, so here's an interesting question then. What about things you would call like a pseudo-grain, like an amaranth or mm -hmm. a quinoa that's really more of a seed yeah. than a conventional grain? Well, and yeah, quinoa is a perfect example because technically it is considered a seed, but it still contains all the same protections. And this is how I define it to people because when you start talking seed and grain, the technical difference and – yeah, a, a seed is more encompassed within something like a fruit – you know that the seed is internal as opposed to a grain is basically anything that comes from a grassy piece of vegetation. That's how I've always heard it defined. And to me, I just go, well, no, they're all seeds because they all end up planted in the ground to grow. They're not meant to be in my belly. Um, that's See, now, I, I take exception with some of the, the price folks is I think that, okay, soaking grains and things like that make them less toxic, not non-toxic, yep. right? Exactly. And, but – Sprouting certain things, certain things. If a if the sprouting, not just a little, you know, a little tiny uh, hair root sticking out the bottom, but actually sprouting it to the point of a true sprout, a small plant. Now it's really transformed from seed to vegetation. Yeah, exactly. And to me, that's something. So now imagine you've got a great big amaranth plant, and it grows up to maturity, and it just sits there. Nobody harvests it, and then you know it's, it's surrounded by other amaranth plants. All those seeds hit the ground, it seems like a perfectly good gathering product when it's just little tiny plants. Yeah. You know, you come along, like a guy'd come along and just go, oh, I can eat that. Um, but the seeds, you wouldn't really pop those in your mouth with all the chaff and everything. No. So, like, that plant naturally converts itself to a vegetable. And that kind of is the point at which, and though it's certainly, I don't think our paleo ancestors were, you know, doing sprouting jars on a sink or anything <laughs> with amaranth, yeah. it certainly seems more of an analog to what they did eat than, you know, I soaked oats for 12 hours, so now they're magically transformed into something mystical. Well, and everyone tries that. Everyone who has that grain addiction tries that. I tried it. Yeah. It didn't work. I mean, I yeah. got just as sick pretty much as I did before. Um, it had all the same effects, but you know, let's face it, uh, grains, when you think about it, they're a starvation food. If you can't find anything else and you've got grains, you're going to eat them. You're going to eat anything you can. You're going to eat tree bark. You're going to eat whatever you can find, roots, yeah. whatever. Um, so I can see that, but you're not going to sustain your life and make it a majority of your nutrients. And plus not understanding that actually grains contain anti-nutrients, which is they bind to a lot of essential minerals in our bodies that we need in order to live and thrive. And that's a, getting into the grains issue. It's such a complicated issue. But when you look at the biochemistry that surrounds a grain, it just makes sense that a grain is a seed. It's meant to grow in the ground, not meant for a human or animal. That's why animals, when you go, because we hunted, we hunt, is you see scat filled with seeds or grains. When they it passes right through. Passes right through. Correct. There's a reason. They're, they're eating the fruit, they're yeah. eating the plant itself, and they're passing the seed. It's the way plants propagate in nature yeah. through and, defecation. And they have the ability to actually deal with those toxins better than humans because their digestive systems are more complicated because well, they're more – they eat more vegetation than humans. Well, cows can eat grass and you can't. Yep. That's why we eat the cows. I mean, yeah. People always said you should be a vegetarian. I said I am. 
I am a vegetarian because I eat only things that eat plants. Yeah, I eat my, my – yeah, that, when people go, well, why don't you uh, want a salad? I go, that's what my food eats. Yeah, I eat herbivores. Yeah. They're probably vegetarian. Yeah, <laughs> and understanding the, how, uh, how a, you know, a ruminant animal digests grasses, and it's a very complicated system. Correct. Because they have to digest the grasses far, far more than a human ever could to be able to extract the nutrients out. And yeah. if they ferment, and if we ferment, we become very ill really quickly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Blooded and, and, and nauseous and sick and unhappy in all kinds of ways. And our, our digestive tract is not designed for a fermentation uh, type of, uh, of situation because that uh, naturally means that you're looking at a, a fungal component to things, a yeast fungal component, our digestive systems are primarily bacterial. Yep. And, and those are different worlds. If you, I'm a brewer again, you do not want bacteria in wort when you're making beer. <laughs> yeah. Bacteria, bad, not good, you know, with a few unique niche styles. Cause somebody's going to write me in about Lambic and, and I know, let that go. Um, but uh, in general, you want bacteria away. You want a controlled yeast uh, situation for fermentation, and that's not our bodies. Our bodies are mostly a bacterial system. Um, and, 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 you know, there's other probiotics and all, but we're primarily a bacterial breakdown, the way we consume food and extract nutrients in the intestinal level. Yeah. Um, we're getting a little scientific there, I guess. I know, but. Yeah. Well, we're 10 to 1 bacteria to cells. I mean, yeah. We have 10 times the amount of bacteria <laughs> in our body than we have cells. It's 10 trillion uh, awesome. cells to, what, 100 trillion bacteria. And when I tell people that, they just are shocked. And I go, yeah, you are bacteria. Without bacteria, you will die. And yeah. they just – we've been so germophobic, and we avoid everything, and we disinfect everything, and it's just because our immune systems are broken. That's what bacteria does is it is our immune system. Those bacteria kill other bacteria, yeast, molds, everything you can imagine. That's what they do. Viruses. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. a whole other topic when you start talking gut flora and gut bacteria, but just to – for the listener, just to keep it basic, animals, ruminants, have very complicated digestive systems as opposed to humans. Humans' digestive systems are actually very simplistic. That's why we can't punish it very hard. It will come back and bite us. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. We just uh, – you always get that comparison. They go, well, you know, what about chimpanzees and gorillas? And I go, they eat a bunch of vegetables and bananas. And I go, yeah, they eat each other too. But yeah, yeah but that's – they yeah. have a far more complicated diet. I'll tell you what I tell people like that. When you can swing from one tree to another by using your feet, let me know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you are not the same as a chimpanzee. I don't care what National Geographic told you. Um, you know, when you start flinging your poop at your fellow man and, and hanging from the tree by your feet, then, then we can talk about the similarity between you and a chimp. But until then, maybe you should look at being a human. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And humans are so far different than any animal. I mean, and that's what I, I try and hammer to people. I go, you have to look at us, look at us in the spectrum of the, the whole animal kingdom. Nothing looks really like us or acts like us. We're totally on our own. So if you think you're going to be able to eat like an animal, you're, you, another animal, you're dreaming. Yeah. There's nothing really close, even though they, you know, they go, well, your genetics are 99% of a chimpanzee or a, what? I go, yeah, but that 1%, yeah. we don't understand that 1%. 
And any- well, and that's overplayed because your genetics are a hell of a lot closer to a bullfrog than yeah. than than that statistic would lead you to believe, right? Yeah. I mean, we we also have we also look like a tadpole when we're in the uterus at some point too, but we're not frogs. Uh- <laughs> well, in the understanding of genetics today, because I'm sure you get this set. People go, well, genetically, I'm predisposed to this. Well, no, no, not really. Genetics play a factor, but actually what you eat and the things you surround yourself have a far bigger influence on what's going to happen with your health and your body than genetics. Genetics, and we do not understand how genetics technically really work. We have an idea. We're kind of scratching the surface there. But to think that scientists have got this all figured out is just completely being disillusioned. We have no clue how how our genetics truly work and how our genes actually – we understand they influence certain reactions in our body, but we're not real sure how. We don't get that. So I tell people don't get into this whole genetic debate because we're – you know we don't know much to be honest with you. And yeah, it's uh, – I think we know about, about as much about genetics as we know about the soil, which is uh, very low. Yeah. I mean, that's, anyway, man, this has been a great interview. We're at like an hour and 20 oh, minutes God. at this point, so we need to wrap. You want to tell people how they can find out more about you, learn from you, get your book, etc.? Yeah, uh, actually, the book's on Amazon, and just do a search for Primal Power Method. It's Unlocking the Ancient Secret to Health and the Meal Guide that accompanies it. Um, it, it will be changing, but uh, it, eventually the domain's going to be www primalpowermethod.com. That domain works. It will redirect you to newamericannutrition.com right now in the book. And then my blog is uh, garyshealthtips.com. And you can buy all my products from either website. And Amazon, like I said, has the books. So we're planning to expand upon upon that and have Kindle versions and all that good stuff. So just keep looking out. Well, Gary, I've enjoyed this interview. I'm glad we met. Um, we met because I interviewed somebody else that shall not be named, and uh, your article about those issues was very instrumental in me understanding some real problems there. Uh, so I reached out to you. I don't generally do that. I pretty much I have guests all the time that are brought on the air by the audience. Where like the audience, is like you should go talk to so and so and get them on the show. I'm like, you go talk to them. Yeah. Um, but when I see somebody that I know is going to fit the community, and and I know. Uh, it's worth doing. I do reach out to him, and I want the audience to know that you're one of the few people that I've done that with, and uh, I, I think it's awesome that we've had you on. We'll definitely have you on again in the future, and uh, I, I would even think that at some point with some of the stuff that I do out here at my homestead, uh, maybe we could involve you with one of our events and have you come out and speak and teach. Absolutely. Uh, Jack, like I said, when we first you first contacted me, I've been to your website. I, huh. I just don't remember how or why, but I'll be sure. Because I'm a you know, libertarian too, and all that good stuff. And I'd cross tracks with you at some point. I just couldn't remember. And uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure. We're we're right online with our philosophy and how we think of life and and a lot of things. And it's been a pleasure to be on. I really appreciate you having me on. Well, man, I appreciate you being here. And uh, thanks again for all you do. And thanks for taking time to be with us today. Thanks a lot. All right, folks, and with that, this has been Jack Spearco today along with Gary Collins helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Seeing our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do.
Revolution is you. 